Chapter thirty three of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter thirty three. Adina, Scotia's darling seat, all hail thy palaces and towers, where once beneath the monarch's feet sat legislation's sovereign powers. Burns. All Mary's sensations of admiration were faint compared to those she experienced as she viewed the Scottish metropolis. It was associated in her mind with all the local prepossessions to which youth and enthusiasm loved to give a local habitation and a name, and visions of older times floated o'er her mind as she gazed on its rocky battlements and traversed the lonely arcades of its deserted palace. And this was once a gay court, thought she, as she listened to the dreary echo of her own footsteps, and this very ground on which I now stand was trod by the hapless Mary Stuart. Her eye beheld the same objects that mine now rests upon. Her hand has touched the draperies I now hold in mine. These frail memorials remain, but what remains of Scotland's queen but a blighted name? Even the blood-stained chamber possessed a nameless charm for Mary's vivid imagination. She had not entirely escaped the superstitions of the country in which she had lived, and she readily yielded her assent to the asseverations of her guide as to its being the bona fide blood of David Rizzio, which for nearly three hundred years had resisted all human efforts to efface. "'My credulity is so harmless,' said she in answer to her uncle's attempt to laugh her out of her belief, "'that I surely may be permitted to indulge it, especially since I confess I feel a sort of indescribable pleasure in it.' "'You take pleasure in the sight of blood!' exclaimed Mr. Douglas in astonishment. "'You, who turn pale at sight of a cut finger, and shudder at a leg of mutton with juice in it?' oh mere modern vulgar blood is very shocking answered mary with a smile but observe how this is mellowed by time into a tint that could not offend the most fastidious fine lady besides added she in a graver tone i own i love to believe in things supernatural it seems to connect us more with another world than when everything is seen to proceed in the mere ordinary course of nature as it is called I cannot bear to imagine a dreary chasm betwixt the inhabitants of this world and beings of a higher sphere. I love to fancy myself surrounded by—I wish to heaven you would remember you are surrounded by rational beings, and not fall into such rhapsodies, said her uncle, glancing at a party who stood near them, jesting upon all the objects which Mary had been regarding with so much veneration. But come, you have been long enough here. Let us try whether a breeze on the Carlton Hill will not dispel these cobwebs from your brain. The day, though cold, was clear and sunny, and the lovely spectacle before them shone forth in all its gay magnificence. The blue waters lay calm and motionless. The opposite shores glowed in a thousand varied tints of wood and plain, rock and mountain, cultured field and purple moor. Beneath, the old town reared its dark brow, and the new one stretched its golden lines while all around the varied charms of nature lay scattered in that profusion which nature's hand alone can bestow oh this is exquisite exclaimed mary after a long pause in which she had been riveted in admiration of the scene before her and you are in the right my dear uncle the ideas which are inspired by the contemplation of such a spectacle as this are far oh how far superior to those excited by the mere works of art there i can at best think but of the inferior agents of providence 
Here the soul rises from nature up to nature's God. Upon my soul, you will be taken for a Methodist, Mary, if you talk in this manner, said Mr. Douglas, with some marks of disquiet, as he turned round at the salutation of a fat elderly gentleman, whom he presently recognized as Bailey Broadfoot. The first salutations over, Mr. Douglas's fears of Mary having been overheard recurred, and he felt anxious to remove any unfavorable impression with regard to his own principles, at least, from the mind of the enlightened magistrate. "'Your fine views here have set my niece absolutely raving,' said he with a smile. "'But I tell her it's only in romantic minds that fine scenery inspires romantic ideas.' I dare say many of the worthy inhabitants of Edinburgh walk here with no other idea than that of sharpening their appetites for dinner. No doubt, said the bailey. It's a most capital place for that. Were it no for that, I can nay muckle use it would be of. You speak from experience of its virtues in that respect, I suppose, said Mr. Douglas gravely. Deed, as to that, I canna complain. At times, to be sure, I am troubled with a little kind of a squeamishness after our public entertainments, but three rounds o' the hill sets all to rights. Then observing Mary's eyes exploring, as he supposed, the town of Leith, you see that prospect to nay advantage to-day, miss, said he. If the glass-houses had been workin', it would have looked as well again. You have nay glass-houses in the highlands. No, no. The bailey had a share in the concern, and the volcanic clouds of smoke that issued from thence were far more interesting subjects of speculation to him than all the eruptions of Vesuvius or Etna. But there was nothing to charm the lingering view to-day, and he therefore proposed their taking a look at Bridewell, which, next to the smoke from the glass-houses, he reckoned the object most worthy of notice. It was indeed deserving of the praises bestowed upon it and Mary was giving her whole attention to the details of it when she was suddenly startled by hearing her own name wailed in piteous accents from one of the lower cells, and, upon turning round, she discovered in the prisoner the son of one of the tenants of Glenfern. Duncan Maffree had been always looked upon as a very honest lad in the Highlands, but he had left home to push his fortune as a peddler, and the temptations of the low country having proved too much for his virtue, poor Duncan is now expatiating his offence in durance vile. "'I shall have a pretty account of you to carry to Glenfern,' said Mr. Douglas, regarding the culprit with his sternest look. "'Oh, deed, sir, it's no my fault,' answered Duncan, blubbering bitterly. "'But there's nay freedom at all in this country.' lord and i war out o it on canna caw their head there on in it for ye canna lift the book o a prin but they're all upon ye and a fresh burst of sorrow ensued finding the peccadillo was of a venial nature mr douglas besought the bailey to use his interest to procure the enfranchisement of this his vassal which mr broadfoot happy to oblige a good customer promise should be obtained on the following day and duncan's emotions being rather clamorous the party found it necessary to withdraw and no said the bailey as they emerged from his place of dole endurance will you step up to the monument and take a rest and some refreshment rest and refreshment in a monument exclaimed mr douglas excuse me my good friend but we are not inclined to bait there yet a while the bailey did not comprehend the joke and he proceeded in his own drawling humdrum accent to assure them that the monument was a most convenient place 
"'It was erected in honour of Lord Nelson's memory,' said he, "'and is let off to a pastry-cook and confectioner, "'where you can always find some trifles to treat the ladies, "'such as pies and custards and berries, and these sort of things. "'But we passed an order in the consul "'that there should be nothing of a spiritist nature introduced, "'or if on spirits got admittance, "'there's no saying what might happen.' This was a fact which none of the party were disposed to dispute, and the bailey, triumphing in his dominion over the spirits, shuffled on before to do the honours of this place, appropriated at one and the same time to the manes of a hero and the making of mince pies. The regale was admirable, and Mary could not help thinking times were improved, and that it was a better thing to eat tarts in Lord Nelson's monument than to have been poisoned in Julius Caesar's. End of chapter 33 Recording by Patty Cunningham